Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. So last week, we started a new series called Ears to Hear, Hearing God's Voice. And this is the second, and, and, and today's message is God's voice and words are life. God's voice and words are life. I'm going to start with this text that I shared with you from last week. This is Jesus speaking in John 10, 27, and he says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. One of the things that I love about this text is it makes it clear that it's possible for God's sheep, not just possible, it is a promise, it is something we can count on, that if you are God's child, if you have put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will hear His voice. You, you get to hear God. How many of you, you know, if you really think about that, that's profound because when people say, you know, I'm hearing voices, we say they're probably not well. Right? And yet there's a promise from Scripture that God will talk to us and will recognize His voice. And so in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be getting into what is God's voice like? Why is it important? What's, what's it sound like? How do we recognize His voice? How do we follow Him? And today I'm going to continue in that series. And I, I want to share a story here. Uh, in his book, Building a Church of Small Groups, Bill Donahue relays a story from his time as a part-time youth pastor while he was attending seminary, seminaries where you go to be trained for ministry. He was visiting a farm where two of his students lived. So he had two teenagers that were in his youth group, and he was visiting the farm, and their father decided to teach Bill a lesson. He asked if, he asked, the father asked Bill if he could help him call in his sheep, and, and Bill enthusiastically agreed. Sheep calling, he thought, was like preaching. So we stood at the pasture fence watching 25 sheep graze off in the distance. And the dad said, go ahead. He dared me. Call them in. I said, what do I say? He said, I just say, hey, sheep, come on in. No sweat, I thought. This isn't a problem at all. A city kid with a bad back and hay fever could do this. I began in a normal speaking voice, but Tom interrupted. You are 75 yards away, downwind, and they have their backs to you. Yell. Use your diaphragm like they teach you in the preaching class. So I took a deep breath and put every inch of stomach muscle into a yell that revival preachers around the world would envy. Hey, sheep, come on in. The blessed creatures didn't move an inch. They didn't even turn an ear. Tom smiled sarcastically. Do they teach you the Bible in that seminary? Haven't you ever read what it says there? It says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Raising his voice only slightly, he said, hey, sheep, come on in. All 25 sheep turned and ambled toward us. Tom sees this teachable moment, and he turned to me, and he said, now, don't you ever forget you are a shepherd to my kids. That poor youth pastor. 
What a setup. Can you imagine? That was rough. I feel bad for the guy, but it's a great lesson. And it really applies today to us having the ability to hear the voice of God, to hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus is our good shepherd, and we are promised to hear his voice. We may all hear his voice more clearly than ever before in the days ahead, and we need to. May he tune our ears. May he cause us to hear as we never have before. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you two texts of Scripture. Uh, One's an Old Testament passage, one's a New Testament passage, and I'm going to show you how the two of them are linked together. And we're going to see that God's words are life to us. They are life. We are also going to see that without God's words, our enemy, the darkness, the reality of satanic presence, the reality of the darkness of our age will bring us down. But that Jesus has provided a pattern for overcoming that darkness and that evil when it presents itself. My hope today is that your hunger to hear God's voice will grow more than it ever has before, and you will learn to listen more carefully than ever before. Amen? So the first thing I want you to to see if we're taking notes today, I know all of you are. I've been noticing you got your pens and paper out and you guys are just writing like crazy. Just kidding. I don't see anybody doing that. But anyway, my first point is this. We thrive and we find true life when we listen to God. We thrive and we find true life when we listen to God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This will be in the New Living Translation. Before I read it, I want to give you a little bit of background because you know to me that's important. So we're going to look at the text within the context. And so this is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. This is Moses at the end of his life. He's around 120 years old. Okay, he's been leading Israel for 40 years. He's been leading them through the wilderness. Okay, it's, at the, it's toward the end of his life and... Remember, if you you don't know the story, Moses was the leader that God raised up. He's the clearest picture of Christ in the Old Testament of of any other character. And and Moses was called by God to go into Egypt. He'd been living outside of Egypt to go back into Egypt. And at 80 years of age, he went to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and he told Pharaoh to let the Israelites within his land go because uh, the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt, right? And so Moses goes in and says, let my people go. And, and of course, it doesn't happen. The Pharaoh is resistant. He's a rebel. And so God brings 10 plagues that judge each of the Egyptian gods of that time. And as he judges those gods, finally, in the very last judgment of the last god, the god of death, God liberates his people and brings them out into the wilderness. And the plan is to take them into the land, we call it the promised land, the land that God had promised his people, a land that flowed with milk and honey. And and for us as Christians, all of these stories have a symbolic import to us. They represent examples to us of even the way to walk with God. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us. So, So Moses brings the people out. It's God's intention to take them quickly into the promised land. Different scholars say different things, but with about two to three million people, they could have possibly gone from Egypt to the promised land within six weeks. It took them 40 years. Think about that. Six weeks, six weeks, 40 years. And the reason it took them 40 years is because these people refused to listen to God. They were rebels, rebels in heart. 
And every time God tried to do something for them, and over and over he did miracles, he provided for them, they complained, they attacked his leaders, they did everything that they could to make it difficult on Moses and his leadership and difficult on God. And they even went as far as to worship false gods and commit all kinds of terrible evil sins. And over and over, God kept warning them and warning them. And finally, after multiple warnings and the rebellion of the people, he said, I'm not taking you into the promised land. I'll take your children into the promised land. You're going to die here in the wilderness because you're people who refuse to listen to God. Right? So that's what happened. They would not listen. And so they wondered and wondered and wondered. So here Moses is. He's talking to Israel, and he says this. He says, be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember, notice he first says, be careful, and he says, remember. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay, so he did it. Why? That we might learn that as God's people, our sustaining life, our sustenance is actually the word of God. And that we would learn to listen to his voice. And not trust in ourselves or false gods, but trust in the God who made it all by speaking it and bringing it into being. If He does all these miracles and takes care of you and performs all these things for you, He can be trusted. If He can bring you out from the most powerful nation on earth with signs and wonders and miracles and bring down the greatest military power of that day with a bunch of slaves, God can take care of you every day of your life and you don't have to fear. And yet over and over again they refused to listen to Him and they were stubborn. So let's look at several points from this text. The first thing I want you to notice is this is be careful to do what God says when He speaks. I guess I'll call this be careful to nurture a disposition of heart that's ready to obey. Why is that important? Because for some people, the purpose of learning to hear God's voice is just to increase knowledge or have a mystical experience. But the Scripture teaches the purpose of hearing God's voice is that we might follow and respond. You see, if you're going to be a person that says, God, I want to hear your voice, because that's an exciting idea, right? That's okay, it's, it is exciting. I want to tell you, the first time I recognized as a new Christian that I was hearing God, I about blew up with excitement. I mean, it was like, I heard God. So it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. But the purpose of God making His voice known to you is not so you can tell everybody about your mystical experiences and be able to tell everybody constantly in your life, yeah, God told me, the Lord told me, He told me, He told me this, He told me to get up and what shoes to wear and what pants to put on and what clothes to wear. It just gets to be weird. And, and charismatics and Pentecostals like we are, we can be the weirdest of all when it comes to saying everything is God's voice. Right? God's voice has fruit. God's voice has grace. God's voice has, has attendant, what's the word I'm looking for? Evidences. 
that it was God's voice, right? And so if, if your goal is, I want to be able to tell people that I hear God and, and, you know, kind of be mystical about it, that's not God's intention. God's intention is so you can say, yes, Lord, your servant's listening. What would you have me to do? And you start with the disposition, I'll obey. Amen. Secondly, your life will thrive and you'll find your place when you follow God's voice. God's promise to his people was that they would have a place of blessing to dwell. He called it the promised land. The promised land represents a life that is rightly aligned with God and is experiencing his shalom. The ultimate key to becoming the person we long to be and experiencing true fulfillment and purpose is to listen to God and follow him. Let's talk about that word shalom for a minute. The promised land represented the shalom of God. And the word shalom isn't just peace. We, we translate it in our Bibles peace, but it's so much more than peace. In fact, actually, you could say peace is the fruit or the outgrowth of shalom. Shalom is a sense of well-being. It's the right alignment of your life with God and others. It's that sense that your world is where you, you're where you should be. You're doing what you've been created to do. You're obeying God. And even though you're going to face difficulty and pain because you live in a sin-fallen world, you still know you have that inner sense, I'm doing the right thing. I'm on track with God. I'm moving with God. And inside of you, there's this joy and this pleasure. You could be suffering persecution, but you, knew, you would know I'm doing this as unto the Lord, and I'm right where He wants me to be. I'm aligned. It's good. And inside, I have this outflow of joy and life that's shalom and that's what God has for us when Jesus said in the New Testament that you'll have life and you'll have it more abundantly that was the New Testament counterpart to shalom in the Old Testament abundant life is shalom it's this idea that you're right where you're to be in God and he himself is your sustenance and you're not trusting any other but him are you with me okay so Listen to him, follow him. That's what God has for you. Number three, God will test you to prove your character and see whether you follow his voice. A lot of times people are confused about God's tests. God doesn't test us so he can know what's in us. Like, you know, I wonder what Doug's made of. I'm going to put him through some hell just to find out. He already knows what I'm made of. He already knows me inside and out. God tests us to show us and others what's in us. God desires our lives to become a, a model or a pattern for others to see and follow. I don't mean a life of perfection or sinlessness, but a life of redemption and love. He tests us to reveal His grace, love, and well-being through us. So the question is, will you follow Him today and obey Him when life is difficult? If all you have is enough manna for today, will you grumble and complain or will you thank Him for your daily provision? You see, God took these people and they had been slaves and they'd eaten some good food as slaves, but they still went through times of great suffering. He brings them into the wilderness and they don't have anything, right? There's no way they could have enough livestock or vegetables and fruits that would last to feed them for the entire time that God would take care of them. So what did God do? He rained down this substance called manna. And it's funny because the word manna means what is it? Did you know that? 
Manna means, what is it? You can just imagine. And, and so God told him, I'm going to rain down on the earth every day a substance, and you can take it and make it into a number of different things. And you can have, you know, you can have manna spaghetti, you can have manna burgers, you can have manna tacos, but it's going to be made from manna, and I'm going to provide for you every day. And on the fifth day of the week, you're going to gather, or the day before, the sixth day of the week, excuse me, you're going to gather enough for two days, and I'm going to take care of you on the Sabbath. You're not going to have to go gather it. You're just going to kick back, and I'm going to provide for you, but you only gather what you need every day that you might learn that I'm the one that's providing for you, and you don't live on your own man-made bread. You live on the bread of heaven, the Word of God. Okay, so he tests them. He puts, puts them through this test to prove their hearts, and next he humbles us. So we may learn that we need His words to live. God often humbles us with seasons of just enough to get by. Anybody been there? Anybody there? You don't have to admit it. We know. Right? Sometimes we just go through this life where it's barely enough, barely enough, barely enough. And and what's the goal of everybody going through the barely enough life? I got to get out of this so I have more than enough. We sang about that today, didn't we? Jaira. Yahweh Jireh is more than enough. He is our sustenance. He is our life, right? So he humbles us with seasons of just enough so we'll learn that we need his words to live. Manna represented God's daily provision and God's daily word. God let the people experience hunger so they would look to him and not trust in themselves or other false gods. Notice the end of verse 3. He did this, he did it to teach you that people Do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, When Moses reminded them that they did not live on bread alone, he meant that even their food was decreed by the word of God. They had manna because it came by his command. It was therefore ultimately not bread that kept them alive, but his word. Bread alone, that is, bread acquired independently of his word, could not keep them alive. See, manna was representative of something. It was representative of our need every day to come to God and trust and let him feed us with himself, with his word, with his voice. Amen? Now, let me take you to the the companion text in the New Testament. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We're going to look at the temptation that Jesus went through from Satan, from the devil. But I I want you to see something about this text. I want you to understand kind of the background. And that is that Jesus, the real point of Jesus, we're only going to look at the first temptation. The real point of Jesus is where we draw our life from. Okay, so before we go there, a little background. Jesus is just now ready to be launched into his public ministry. Okay, somewhere around maybe 30 years old. Okay, and he has just been water baptized. John the baptizer has baptized him in water. And Jesus came out of the water, and as he comes out of the water, a, oh, the scripture's up here, but that's not the baptism, but a a dove descends on him, right? No, not a dove, the Holy Spirit in the form of, of a dove descends upon him, and God speaks. And the voice of the Father says this, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So right away, God says of Jesus, this is my boy. I'm proud of him. This is my son. And Jesus launches forth into his life after that, under that identity, that he is a son of God, that he is the son of God. 
that he's the beloved of God and that God is pleased with him. He's never done a miracle yet as far as we know. He's never preached a sermon yet. It's not because of his performance. It's not because of his actions. It's not because he's done, you know, he's done his ministry yet. It's simply because he is a son. Right? So he tells him, this is my beloved son. And right away, the devil comes to him. It's interesting. Right after that baptism, Jesus, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, I should say, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So immediately, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8, where we just read. I want you to see something here. The the Faith Life Study Bible makes note of this. It says, The temptations faced by Jesus follow the same pattern as the Israelites' disobedience in the desert. The Israelites demanded bread, doubted the Lord's presence, and despaired of His help. Jesus reverses all these acts of faithlessness. God led his people through the desert for 40 years due to their unfaithfulness. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days so that his faithfulness might be set in contrast to the nation's unfaithfulness. Matthew emphasizes that the Spirit leads Jesus. The devil is allowed to test him but does not lead him. So Jesus is the embodiment of Israel as one man. And the Israel of old went into the wilderness and failed the test. Now Jesus, the embodiment of Israel, goes into the wilderness and passes every test. And he doesn't have to spend 40 years, he only has to spend 40 days. Which is close to almost six weeks, isn't that interesting? Are are you alive? So the devil comes to Jesus and to us in our times of weakness. Right? Forty days of fasting would have left Jesus weak and hungry. The devil tries to seize upon his weakness and hunger and get Jesus to act independently of his Father's will and turn these stones into bread to feed himself. Jesus had been feeding himself already for 40 days upon God and his word. Right? Jesus knew what people really need. We need God. God is our fuel. His words are life. The devil uses the same tactics with us. He comes to us in a moment of weakness tiredness, hunger, discouragement, and sickness to tempt us and try to bring us down. He even comes to us in moments of victory, right? You notice that it was right after he was baptized in water, right? And then he goes into the wilderness and the devil comes after him. By the way, water baptism is a powerful, wonderful public celebration of your commitment to Jesus Christ. But have you ever noticed, and maybe you can remember it in your own life, have you ever noticed when you got water baptized that maybe afterward you faced a lot of spiritual warfare? Well, it's the same every time God reveals himself in a, in a profound way and makes himself known to us. But at this time, Jesus is hungry. He's, he's probably tired. He's been out in the wilderness for 40 days. I'm guessing he's sleeping on the ground and not having the best accommodations, right? And the enemy comes to him, and he does that in our lives as well. And we're called to engage in the same warfare tactics that Jesus did, right? And that takes me to the next point. The devil questions Jesus. And he questions us, our true identity. 
right? In moments of weakness, the devil will, will attack our identity as he did Jesus. He casts doubt on Jesus' true identity by saying, if you are the Son of God, right? The Father had just boldly declared to Jesus in the hearing of people that this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Jesus had just been baptized and blessed. His identity had just been clearly declared, and yet that is what the devil is calling into question. Remember, when God has just revealed how much he loves you and that you are his son or daughter, the enemy will often come to get you to question your identity. This is super important. I mean, can I talk to you about identity for a minute? Your identity is not in your accomplishments. I'm sorry, but as long as we think that our accomplishments or our paychecks, our bank accounts, our retirements, our intelligence, right, our wisdom, our looks, what, what are you placing your confidence in? What is it that affirms to you that you have value and a reason to exist? If you're putting it in anything other than what God has said about you as a son or a daughter, eventually circumstances are going to happen in life that attack the very things you're putting your identity in, and then what are you going to do? If you're a highly successful, driven person and you go through a season of failure and you fall or your venture doesn't work and you end up really discouraged, are you going to despair of life because you put all the eggs in the basket of your success and what people are going to think of you? If you are putting your, your confidence in your looks and you think that you know, keeping all this looking good and right is going to you know, make you feel like you're something or somebody, what's going to happen as you age? What are you going to go through? What are you going to continue to do to prop up stuff that starts to sag? <laughs> is anybody listening to what I'm saying? You see, if our identity is in anything other than what God says of us and, and the fact that we're His children, yeah. we're going to experience attacks from the adversary that are going to bring us down. Yeah. We can't beat that. We have to... Be at rest with the idea that I'm a son of God. Even if it means other people think, man, he's a failure. He's blown it. That's not the... Listen, here's the beauty. When you're attached to Jesus Christ, no matter what you're going through right now, that's not the end of the story. It might be a chapter. It might be a page. But Sunday's still coming, even if it looks like Friday. Am I talking to anybody? Okay. So... And then, then the interesting thing is that the devil always uses our normal appetites and desires to tempt us. See, we think the devil's going to come and tempt us with bad stuff. You know, hey, Doug, you need to murder your neighbors with a chainsaw or an axe. You're laughing, but, you know, we, we, we like, yeah, because, you, right, you can recognize that a mile away. Yeah, that, no, I don't think so. By the way, I love all my neighbors on both sides of me and down the street. I just have a couple of neighbors here today. I just want you to know I love you. No chainsaws or axes coming your way. Okay, but, but check it out. He doesn't usually come to us with absurd craziness like that. In some people's lives, he might. 
because there's a weakness somewhere that he wants to take advantage of. But he usually comes to most of us in our normal appetites and desires, tries to get us in a time of weakness that we might act independently of what God's called us to. And so we need to be aware of that. And I love what Jesus does. He answers the devil with scriptures that emphasize hearing God's voice. He reminds him that, you know, by the way, the devil is good at quoting scripture, and he does in the text. If you continue to read the text, the devil quotes the scripture right back at Jesus, and Jesus quotes the scripture again and puts him in his place. And, and, and so we have to obviously know the word, but the most important reality is hearing God, being in alignment with him, right? knowing his voice. Um, I don't know why, I just, I, I'm thinking of a time that we were doing, this is going to sound crazy, but we were doing a, an exorcism on somebody, and a voice began to speak out of them, right? We were casting a demon out of them, demons, and I was young in the faith and didn't have a lot of training, but I had read the Bible, and I noticed that Jesus one time asked, what's your name? So I'm like, what's your name? And this voice says, Lucifer. Really did. This really happened. And immediately, because I understood, first and foremost, I understood that I was just a young Christian, and this person that we were doing ministry to was not well-known, and they weren't like, at the time, they weren't like changing the world. And so immediately in my mind, the Holy Spirit goes, he's lying. Why? Because Lucifer's not going to possess this guy, this young man that we were ministering to. And so I was aware. I was listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit within me, and I said, that's a lie. Shut up. And then we continued to minister to this person, and they got free. I don't say that for sensationalism, but knowing when the adversary is talking to you, being able to discern the lie, being able to recognize the lie. He was lying, and I just broke out the truth on him. I called him a liar. I told him to get and he got, okay, Jesus, because Jesus is Lord, right? That's why. So Jesus shows us here that we need God's spoken words to live. He makes it clear that he's being sustained by God's word to him, and he ultimately doesn't need the food the devil wants him to create. The tempter wanted him to act independently of his father's command, but Jesus used God's word to overcome the adversary. Jesus needed, Jesus needed God's word to live. Jesus says that we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The message paraphrase captures the Greek idea better. Listen to the message paraphrase. I normally wouldn't say that, but in this case, it really captures. It says, it, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. The idea is that God is speaking to us and we need His steady, ongoing, preceding words to give us life and nourishment. We need His words to live. You see, Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That word comes from the mouth, that phrase comes from the mouth of God, could also be translated every word that is regularly flowing out of God's mouth. What's the point? The point is, is that God's always speaking. God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you day by day. He wants to feed you day by day. He wants you to learn to attune your ear to his voice, to learn to wait on him. He wants to speak to you primarily through this book. He wants you to recognize that in this book are words of life, that in this book 
there's actually a sound from God that you begin to attune your ear to. Here's the beautiful thing. As you baptize yourself and immerse yourself in Scripture with the idea that I'm going to come to know God through it, and not just so I can gain knowledge, not just so that I can be a Bible thumper, but so that I can learn God's nature and character and heart. And as you immerse yourself in this text, and it gets in your heart, and it gets in your head, and by the way, it won't get in your head by doing this, or by sleeping with it under your pillow. It just doesn't work, okay? Good try, but that doesn't work, okay? But as you get it in your heart, and as you get it in your head, what's going to happen? When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you're going to go, oh, that's the sound of His voice. That that matches this. Right? You begin to understand His voice. You begin to learn His voice through Scripture. Amen? Yes. So let me close with a story. I had like two minutes. So let me close with a story. This is from what happened on September 11th in 2001. It's taken from U.S. News and World Report. Listen to this. When the infamous September 11 airplane barreled into the Pentagon. Officer Isaac Hoopy, that's really his name, was nearby but outside the building. Immediately he began helping people straggle out of the building. In some cases, he carried them out. But Hoopy wanted to do more. Wearing only his short sleeved blue police uniform. Thank you, God, for law enforcement. Amen. With no mask, no protective coat, not even a handkerchief, he ran into the inky blackness of the Pentagon. Someone yelled at him to stop. We got to get people, he shouted back, suffocating on smoke. He heard the building cracking and beginning to give way. He called out, is anybody in here? Anybody here? Wayne Sinclair and five co-workers were crawling through rubble and had lost all sense of direction. When they heard Hoopy's voice, they cried out and Hoopy responded, head toward my voice, head toward my voice. Following his voice, Sinclair and the others soon made their way out of the crumbling building. Jesus saves us the same way. He says to us, head toward my voice. You see, we live in a time, and I, I don't want to overstate this, but we live in a time right now where there are so many voices and most of them are yelling and they're confusing. You're hearing perspectives from everywhere and everybody has a truth claim and every sound is beckoning you to listen to what they have to say. And, and much of the goal of the voices is truly to divide and conquer, to destroy, to bring down. We live in a time where evil is fairly obvious, right? Maybe more obvious than it's been in past seasons. We live in a time where there are forces at work within our society, within our, within our culture, to destroy, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But this isn't a time for us to buckle down and choose our side and get in our echo chamber and only listen to those voices that agree with us and make us angrier and angrier against the other side. That's the wrong tactic. This is a time, at least on a regular basis, to shut all that stuff out and to go get quiet, to tune it out, to put your phone away, shut it off, and get alone 
and listen and open the book and prayerfully say, God, I need to hear you right now. Because in some ways, it feels at times like we're in a society that's on fire and crumbling around us. And if we don't listen to the voice of Jesus saying, here, come here, it's going to fall on us. And I'm going to tell you, I've been so grieved the last couple years as I've watched my own brothers and sisters have stuff fall on them, get their hearts crushed, their souls discouraged. But I'm telling you, we need to stop and listen to the voice of our shepherd. He's speaking, and it's time to listen. Amen? Amen, church? Can I appeal? Listen, the message is God's words and voice are life. Do we believe that? You know, you would think like, if something is truly life, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to get that, to eat it, to partake of it. It's life. Let us get that life. His words are life. They are truth. They'll preserve you. They'll give you life and, and change you. They'll heal you and help you. They'll direct you and guide you. And in the end, they'll lead you to know God more, to love Him more, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself.